From Share Profits, brought to you from Wales by 30 Arts, this is the Share Profits Radio Show, episode 26, the 28th of February, 2020. And here's your host, Tom Winifred. Hi, it is indeed Tom Winifred with the 26th edition of Share Profits Radio. Once again, brought to you from Wales, albeit only by 30 yards. The good news from here in Wales is that the floodwaters are receding. The bad news for those of us interested in the stock market is it has been an utterly, utterly terrible week. That is, unless you were short of either the market or of most individual stocks. The cause? Well, it's simple. Uh, I say that. Uh, is it really that simple? The, the obvious cause is the coronavirus. Uh, the coronavirus, terrible, uh, terrible little virus. Why, if there is a God, did he create things like the coronavirus? Maybe that discussion is for another time. But the coronavirus is impacting on all of our lives. We've already seen it cause a number of profits warnings, and there are going to be a hell of a lot more going forward over the coming weeks and months. Uh, The bottom line is that even if you live in a country which is relatively unaffected, I don't think actually there are any cases in Wales so far, touch wood, uh, but I know that there are about 15 in England. So relatively, England is unaffected. Most of those cases are people who were on board that's unfortunate uh, floating Petri ship, uh, Petri dish, either the cruise ship anchored off Japan or who have come back from uh, places like China uh, in recent weeks. Uh, There seems to be very few, uh, no, Uh, as yet, direct people-to-people communications within the UK, but I fear it is only a matter of time. I digress. Even if we live in an area like England or Wales where there is almost no risk whatsoever right now of catching the virus, it is affecting our behaviour. I think I mentioned later on in this podcast that uh, I was planning to go on holiday uh, with the missus and my son, uh, over the Easter break and take uh, the parents of the missus, my, my, my beloved mother-in-law and father-in-law. <sighs> Do we really want to take uh, two octogenarians uh, through the busy, uh, hectic hellhole that is Manchester Airport at the time of the coronavirus spreading? The country we're going to uh, is starting to have a few cases, or we were going to. Do we really want to expose... Uh, them to the risk of catching it at uh, uh, the country's major airport, Athens Airport? I don't know. Uh, We're certainly thinking about it. Do we want to take them? uh, I mean, I have other reasons to think about this, but we're thinking, do we want to take them and expose them to this risk? I have to admit, we're thinking about, do we want to go ourselves? Wouldn't we be safer just sitting it out in Wales until this outbreak uh, is over? I have no idea how long it will last and how severe it will be. And I have no idea on how it's going to impact on the behaviour of consumers and businesses across the world. 
I mentioned later on in the podcast, I will be interested to see how full, how full the football stadiums are this weekend for the Premiership Championship and other football matches. My guess is this attendance will be down across the board. And if things continue as they are, attendance will be even lower in the week that follows. People will simply regard it as safer to stay at home and watch it all on the telly. They will be going out less. They will be altering their behaviour. Uh, and this is clearly impacting on some companies already. Uh, it will impact on some more than others, but it will impact on more or less every company in some way. Uh, should you uh, 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 should you adjust your approach to investing uh, uh, in order to accept the new reality? Well, in certain cases, you should. Maybe it's not a time to panic, uh, but if you have a company which is clearly both operationally and financially geared and at risk uh, uh, of the uh, clear effects of this crisis, uh, I would highlight IQE as being a case in point, uh, you should really think about whether you want a company anyway. But that perhaps brings us to a wider point. Why is the coronavirus and the impact it's having on the real economy having such a profound impact on the stock market? The reason for that, I put it to you, is the stock market was, well, certainly in America, at all-time highs before peak call, before the coronavirus uh, uh, epidemic really got hold. Uh, as I have argued on this radio show and certainly on my bearcast over on shareprofits.com uh, for a number of years, the valuations of the market, particularly in the United States, cannot be justified on fundamentals. PE ratios uh, were, before the recent sell-off, incredibly high given that we are 10 years, 11 years into a bull market, given that the global economy was, even before coronavirus, forecast to grow uh, at a fairly pedestrian and slowing pace this year. And therefore, the corporate earnings growth was going to be pretty pedestrian at best. And that does not fit well with PEs uh, at uh, uh, stratospheric levels. So the market was itself already hugely overvalued. Uh, 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 it uh, goes back to that book, The Strange Death of Liberal, Eng uh, Liberal England. Uh, uh, that phrase, was it uh, uh, the man who walks into the street uh, and has a heart attack and is hit by a bus? Is it the heart attack that kills him or the bus? And one could make the same analogy uh, with coronavirus and an overvalued stock market. Uh, generally, uh, if the stock market is overvalued, there are certain stocks you want to avoid uh, uh, already. Uh, those on the highest ratings, those with the weakest balance sheets, because you know if there is a correction in the market, uh, certainly those with weak balance sheets will find it very, very hard to refinance as investors uh, will, uh, after the event, panic and move into cash and be reluctant to fresh, commit fresh funds to the market. So uh, you have a, a, a general market uh, outlook where uh, this is uh, uh, the sort of black swan, which has made the warnings of folks like myself uh, uh, come true uh, after a long time. But there are also company-specific issues. I'll discuss a bit more of that with my second guest later on the show. We do have two guests on this show, which is, uh, uh, again, sponsored by Open Orphan PLC. 
it's a company which oddly uh, is likely to actually benefit from the coronavirus. Uh, 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 you feel a bit dirty saying that, but it is the reality. You can't get away from that. Uh, to find out more about that uh, or more about the company, follow us at Twitter, at Open Orphan. I should declare I am a loyal shareholder uh, and expecting uh, uh, not to be selling my shares uh, for less than 10p and to be there within a couple of months. I have spoken to Cathal Friel, the executive chairman of the company, uh, uh, who is very upbeat about what's going on, and we are hoping that we will have him on the show uh, uh, within the next two or three weeks. So I hope you enjoy this show. Thanks to Open Orphan for sponsoring it. Uh, And now I have two guests today, a bear and a whistleblower. Let's take a short break and we'll see who comes up first. My first guest on Share Profits Radio this week uh, is a whistleblower. Uh, his name is Patrick Abbott, uh, and he was for a relatively short spell last year in charge of the U.S. Operation, operations of Vasarian PLC. Welcome to the show, Patrick. Yes, thank you, Tom. I, uh, I'm humbled at the term whistleblower. I, I think that that's a, <clears throat> a little, <laughs> a little high, a little high expectation for me. But I uh, appreciate your time. You've been called many things. Take any compliment you can get. Um, look, what did you do before you joined Vasarian? What's your background? Thank you, Tom. Yes, I have a, a very deep background in the materials business. Uh, I spent a number of years with BASF, and then. Uh, was part of a transition to Huntsman after that. Uh, I became uh, deeply involved with uh, Graphene and its business uh, from the onset on the evaluation after uh, its discovery and uh, certain projects with a number of different spaces and verticals and uh, landed with uh, XG Sciences and the great folks there uh, worked for uh, Phil Rose uh, the CEO there as their uh, one of their uh, marketing uh, new business development managers, and uh, and then was uh, was part of the development of the National Graphene Association and board member and spoke there and and through that association uh, became exposed to the folks at Versarian where uh, we began to enter into conversations and then eventually uh, offered a position. Right. You joined in. Remind me when you joined. I came on board in mid-March. Uh, so it was in that March 15th to March 30th uh, time frame of 2019. Now, you joined the company and uh, uh, I apologize if you feel that uh, the coverage which myself and others gave you was unfair. But uh, certain uh, suggestions were made. Uh, that you were up on fraud charges or something like that, and you were you were heading off to prison. Um, I, I summarise, uh, 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 but those were the suggestions. And in the end, uh, Vasarian terminated your contract. Did Vasarian know the allegations against you before it hired you? Uh, they did. We had been in. Uh, we had discussed those. Uh, those potential allegations. And of course, as anybody that's in a specific position, especially when you're dealing with sensitive IP, can be the victim of some type of allegations. And 
you know, as we've gone through, and I can't go into deep details and seen that as time goes on, uh, nearly all of the suggestive accusations made within the one out of 13 uh, media interviews that I conducted with a local TV station, uh, and this one that I did not, as well as others have, have all come full circle to be shown uh, to be pretty much invalid. So, uh, you know, I think that uh, when when we started our discussion, they had uh, done some uh, some fact seeking themselves and looked at some different things. And and you know, Tom, the, the reality of it is, I've been doing this for about 30 years, and until this situation here, which is really strange when you start to look at what appears to be their detail and match it up to the documents that I can provide, it just doesn't make sense. I mean, there hasn't been a single complaint in business over 30 years, so. Um, it would seem a bit unusual and out of place, but uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, the, the sensationalism and the, and, and the attacks out there in social media, uh, you know, heightened the, uh, you know, the points that were made. And, and unfortunately, uh, my, my family and I uh, became kind of the, the focal point for that. But let's get this straight. Um... Neil Ricketts and his team at Vasarian were fully aware of the allegations against you before you were hired. When the allegations appeared on uh, <clears throat> share profits and elsewhere, um, <clears throat> Ricketts uh, put out an RNS saying this is all comes as a bit of a surprise, but they stand by you. And then a couple of months later, uh, they terminate your contract. Surely that termination was without cause if they were aware of everything beforehand. Uh, I, yeah, again, I'm, I'm not sure that I can go into great detail. It was a surprise to me. I found out uh, about the same time everyone else did through an unusual RNS, which was released, uh, which was uh, the announcement of the appointment of a new director in the United States, which wouldn't have had any impact on me. The impact would have been uh, pretty, I would have thought, uh, the expectation that, that that position would have been filled based on the position I held uh, as, a, as a transition to the growth of business. So to, to read the, uh, the sentence that got everyone's attention here uh, within the space and the clients and the customers uh, related to, to my departure to uh, pay attention to those allegations uh, was somewhat surprising. And, um, you know, we we had had those discussions leading up to it. I, I, you know, I defend myself in saying that there isn't a single customer or client here within the U.S. that was affected by this. There was no one. I mean, business was continuing to grow. Uh, business can be documented that was in place. Uh, commercialization and testing was occurring. So, and as we know, you know, potential formal orders being placed. So from this standpoint, it was it was a non-issue for people here in the United States. Let's go to the charges against you. Have they uh, all been dropped now? They haven't. No, they continue to get extended. And, you know, I, we, we can only let the process take its own course. Uh, you know, I, I definitely, you know, I tell people, you know, I went and I fought for this country and I spent time to, to defend its honor. And I have to, to believe in the respect that uh, we, we have to allow those processes to run their course. Um, I can state that, uh, you know, we and we have in the past that uh, we're we're innocent of, of of what they're claiming in the in the format they're claiming it. There have been a number of 
peripheral activities that occurred uh, against us in setting that up and listing a number of different groups and and media uh, platforms. And, you know, I just let people take a look for themselves. They're more than welcome to take a look at my company website and review the documents that are posted there and have been since, in some cases, uh, the early 2000s and, uh, and review for themselves against uh, what these charges are. And in some cases, uh, motions have been filed, such as Brady motions, that, that back us up and and show that, uh, you know, in some cases that, that the uh, allegations or uh, some of the attempts to uh, change the course of the case have been have been manipulated. You would regard these claims as utterly vexatious, but sadly, you can't sort of bring them to a head. You've just got to let um, due process take course. Absolutely. You know, it's not that we haven't tried. Uh, we continue to, to try and move that forward, but we uh, we have to let it run its course. And, uh, you know, again, we we had the best intentions of moving forward in the direction that we did. We've had a great reputation for, for now three decades, and it just it, it doesn't make sense. Um, I, I can tell you that on my end, um, you know, I've never been interviewed by authorities. Uh, we've offered computers and records multiple times. It's been declined. Uh, you know, it's an unusual situation because we have been in this now a little over three years and we're still getting to the phase where we, we move forward to actually, you know, meet, meet it and, 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 and get to the root of it. And, and have an opportunity to present uh, to present our defense. Okay, I think that clears that up. I wish you well, and I wish a speedy resolution to this. Um, you mentioned there that you met Mr. Ricketts via the uh, Graphene Council. Have I got the, the the name correct? Well, the National Graphene the... Association, which was the NGA. Yeah. yeah. Now there are a number of people who post on uh, bulletin boards over in this country, which. Uh, uh, I know you occasionally read, though I advise you against it since it's bad for the blood pressure, uh, who seem to think that because uh, Vasarian has been um, listed or, or commended by this body, it somehow has a unique status amongst graphene producers. There is some claim this is the only accredited producer or some words to that effect. I think what you're referring to is the Graphene Council. So there's two organizations that are prominent. One is the National Graphene Association, which to my knowledge now is is no longer or in a suspended state. I'm not sure how that's how that's termed, um, which was the, the council meeting in Washington, D.C. And then there's the Graphene Council that uh, is uh, has a, a paid-for analysis system to become a verified uh, producer. And essentially what they do is uh, the same thing that you would see in other SPI or different types of analysis where they check your logistics and your uh, production methods and your quality assurance records and things like that and verify that uh, you can, in fact, produce uh, or, or produce an order of something uh, to that product. And uh, they have qualified for that. And they were the first to run through that program because they were the the first to begin the initiation of that program with the Graphene Council. So Vitaren itself initiated that program? Yeah, I wasn't part of uh, how that came together, but I know that they worked very closely in ensuring that uh, 
all of the procedures were followed correctly that were set in place uh, by the two organizations. And uh, I know that other organizations have looked at that. The, the former organization that I worked for uh, did not feel that uh, that was necessary and there were a number of reasons. And uh, the CEO of that company has been very outspoken in, in the differences in different types of production methods for different platforms in different scales of graphenes and 2D materials and the actual definition around the graphenes. And so, you know, there, there's still a number of uh, discussions out there about how these standards should be set and, and how they should be applied. Is Vasarian the only company to have gone through this process now? You say it was the first. Is it the only one now? I, you know, I've been separated from the industry for the last seven months, Tom, so it's difficult to say. I know that there were other, uh, other companies looking at it, and they had called me to ask about uh, the relevance to the client, uh, to the end-use client and the customer. And we had had some of those discussions, whether they continued to uh, move forward with that because of its relevance or not, I'm, I'm not aware. I was, I was asked to remove myself from the industry. And as you know, I've, I've continued on with other ventures in different divisions of my existing company. And uh, I've, I've been very uh, unlike what I've seen uh, through the public media and social media. I've, I've remained fairly, uh, fairly quiet. I think openly, I don't think I've even made a Twitter post in several months. So, so are you, you say you signed a uh, agreement with Asarian when you left, did you? I did. I, you know, I, I was, you know, I'm obviously ethical and want to do the right thing. And so it wasn't in my intent to, to move forward and take business. I did continue to help assist in the transition of some clients, a number of clients here in the USA, obviously, I brought to the table uh, that were established through my current and existing business. And, uh, you know, we wanted everyone to feel healthy. You know, I, I, I have a lot of respect for a number of the shareholders. I know that you seem to have uh, some interaction, but the, the, the probably less than positive in some cases, but certainly don't allow the, you know, that to spoil the group as a whole. Uh, I've seen to be very educated and, and, and concerned and, um, you know, interested in, in gaining uh, real knowledge and understanding of the business and the industry as a whole. Okay, so you are unable to comment on it, but it seems to me that a number of uh, players in this industry don't feel the need to get the certification which Vasari and Trump's, Trumpets are being so important because end users don't require it. That's an accurate statement. The end users, and we work through a number of uh, top companies in oil and gas and aerospace and coatings and plastics uh, that I have direct relationships with, uh, you know, are interested basically in one thing. What can they put in this uh, end use product that enhances the product capabilities, its properties, its benefits, and allows them to create the next level of uh, profit margin uh, by replacing themselves before someone else does. So it, at the end, the, the, the interest really comes in what does the product do? How does it work? What are the misconceptions about the product? What are the realities of the product? And uh, how do we move forward in using it? Okay, so in the U.S. market, um, again, there seem to be some people over in the U.K. who think that 
There are very few companies able to supply graphene in the way that Vasarian can. I get the impression that there are lots of companies that can supply graphene. That's true. And again, this goes back to the difference of discussions on what is graphene, what does it look like, and I know some of the companies here have been under attack for uh, the graphene quality that they have. You know, Tom, it's interesting because we look at this as a business, and the, the, the real strategy is dependent on the business and the type of material they're producing. It isn't one production type doesn't uh, produce all types of graphene. It's very specific to your end-use vertical, to your application, uh, to your process in general. So <clears throat> to group everything into to one uh, lump is, is a little difficult. You have to separate that out. Now, when you do that, you have companies over here that are very capable of, of supplying, uh, several that I could name off the top of my head. And then with some of the new emerging technologies and manufacturing processes, you have immediate scale up to meet demands. Uh, I was working with a client, uh, in, in very prominent client in the gas and oil business for a specific uh, project that wanted, uh, you know, 1500, uh, kgs a, a month for a scale-up project for six months and the initial orders they were able to meet that with a competitive material uh, that was not uh, a Versary material uh, after my departure. Now unfortunately I didn't benefit from that business and neither did Versarian. Mm. We're going to come to that matter of orders in a while but so it strikes me so there are, there are numerous players out there. Is it possible that Versarian uh, if one reads its RNSs it's signed MOUs with leading international players. They never name the international players in, in absolutely hundreds of different sectors. And what you were saying, that may not actually be such a good approach because don't you need to have specific manufacturing capability to meet the demands of one particular sector? I, I would agree with that statement, and that's the strategy that we used here. We we looked for very specific grades, and in those grades that we couldn't match up, uh, I was uh, tasked with finding specific manufacturing and, and supply relationships that could group that under and be sold within a, a specific space or a need uh, if, if there wasn't material available that could do that. So. Uh, you know, there, there are different types of business and qualities, right? There's, you know, you can have high quality thimble business, what I call the thimble business, right? Where you get into some electronics and, and different areas like that, or you can get into higher grade, higher volume, excuse me, regular grade, higher volume um, business that, that goes into roadways and concrete and construction and coatings and plastics and composites and, and areas. So, you know, things like textiles, uh, all areas that I'm familiar with and that I had, had moved business for in previous uh, positions with competitive companies, and uh, we, we're, we were we were moving that uh, those businesses forward here as well. Okay, now let's. Uh, one aspect of the U.S. operation was in May of last year, uh, Vasarian put out an RNS announcing that they had launched its U.S. hub. Uh, I would take a hub to mean to be some sort of hive of activity uh, involved in sales, R&D, all sorts of activities. It, it now turns out that um, this hub was a, a Regis serviced office. 
which I gather, by the way, they've shifted and they've now gone to another Regis service office, so they haven't notified the market of that. Um, you were in charge of the United States at the time this hub was launched. How many other employees were there? At the time, uh, as, a, as an actual employee, I was the only employee. Uh, one of the uh, processes that were used in our discussions leading up is I did have uh, access and partnership in lab facilities that had been in place for many years, in addition to office spaces that had been in place for many years and uh, had done work uh, previously in, in this space uh, specifically for government contracts, the evaluation of uh, contracts in gas and oil, some aerospace, um, you know, just different, uh, different types of coatings and, and uh, composites. So there, there were activities that were occurring, and some of those activities uh, would have turned out to be some transitional opportunities uh, with, with competitive materials. So in a sense, that was, that was an accurate statement that there were activities that were occurring. Those activities had been occurring for many years uh, under the guidance that we had already established here within my own. But they were happening, happening, Patrick, within your uh, 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 company and within your office, not within the hub which uh, uh, Vasarian claimed to have. That is correct. I do know that in standing up the office that uh, was a, a part of a small office that uh, I had been with for many years, uh, they did uh, you know, pay for the office space. And uh, we did have staff employees there that were contracted employees. And uh, the, the lab personnel that were there, as well as uh, some of the support personnel, were all on a uh, build out contracted basis. So it was it was build out work, uh, not quite a 1099, but you know, a, an invoice type uh, scenario. But that facility is no longer available to them. Uh, that I can't tell you. Uh, I don't know what they've continued to do. I can tell you that uh, since my departure, I've, I've seen no one in or out of any of the spaces. You have offices in the same building and you have seen no one go in and out of those offices. That's true. And it obviously that that doesn't mean that there isn't anything there. I just... Uh, it could be people know. sneaking in at three in the morning, Patrick, <laughs> and you're not there to monitor them. Well, we, you know, we could be we could be missing each other. I do spend quite often a, a lot of time at the coffee shop down below uh, at the at the uh, lobby level. So uh, maybe they're monitoring you and they sneak in when you're in the coffee store okay now i want to turn i want to turn to uh, before we go to america let's just rewind um on one other issue one of the reasons why i imagine it must have seemed quite attractive to join vistarian uh, was the announcement in uh april of 2019 that the company had signed a term sheet with uh, BIGT, the, a, a mysterious Chinese entity with no office or telephone number or website, uh, under which BIGT was going to subscribe for 15% of the equity of Vasarian. Uh, being quite a senior level employee, you must have had discussions with, with the boss, with Mr. Ricketts and with others about the, uh, this transaction. 
Uh, that's that's somewhat accurate. I did not have any intimate knowledge, but there were public discussions and there were discussions um, with groups that were in public settings where a number of those items were discussed. It was it was attractive uh, and there were a number of things attractive to the company. Uh, in addition to that, I was introduced to some of the talent in the company and, and they do have some talented folks that whether they're employees or contract employees like they were here in the U.S., did present some, some good vision and some solid uh, strategies for moving business forward. So there were a number of things that were attractive. Okay. In terms of BIGT, what were you told? Well, I understood that there were, there were uh, terms that were established and that there was a strategy within the company to uh, develop uh, business opportunities to present that to uh, the continuing development of that of that uh, term sheet and, and to the uh, the uh, Beijing Institute itself uh, is a potential for another another opportunity for the development of product for the production of product and 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 things of that nature that would then be exported or shared or developed uh, across the globe and allow us a platform that would be then global to support not only the United States and potential sharing of those technologies, but also in Asia. What, uh, what, what did you get any idea of the financials? Were you talk, was there anything discussed? Well, there were numbers that were discussed at, at certain times. Uh, you know, there was a, there were some expectations uh, about uh, the value uh, of the company and, and what that needed to look like to, to be a solid uh, movement forward. But uh, I think that that's all public information. That's Those are items that have been discussed, or at least I've seen them flying around on billboards from screenshots people have asked me for confirmation on. And again, I wasn't intimately involved with the deal. Uh, I think Chris uh, negotiated and, and spent time in there, uh, probably more time than even Neil himself. So uh, he would probably be the best um, source for the details in that. But obviously, we were all given uh, a, an overview to, to understand what uh, what our participation level needed to be to continue to pull the global strategy together. You talk about this overview and things that have been discussed in the public domain. Well, of course, one thing is that uh, uh, Vasarian has never, via RNS, released the terms. Uh, but as I understand it from uh, uh, another source, uh, a precondition of the deal from the, on the point part of the Chinese was that the share price had to be 150p. Yeah, again, that... Those are terms that were, were discussed publicly in, in open uh, meeting discussions, for example, in, in groups that were assembled uh, in Washington, D.C. at the time. And there were dates and levels of participation and value that would make, uh, that would kind of be that tipping point or uh, that starting point for the deal to move forward. Uh, I, I wasn't intimately aware on how that was progressing or what negotiations uh, occurred to to move the needle on that on that expectation. But I know that we were asked to to present the 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 most formidable and immediate opportunities that could potentially uh, bring in that revenue. And and those opportunities, I want to make something clear uh, as I as I got a post that was sent to me today that was somewhat disturbing. The 
the statements that I made in the statements that I put out on Twitter and in the photos that I put at the time, those are all real. And, and probably the saddest part of the story is those, those are all moving forward, but they're not moving forward with, with my help or with the help of Versarian. So for those individuals that want to attack that false statements were made there on the business that did exist with the company relationships at the time, um, it's a loss for everyone because those businesses are moving forward with those projects and in most cases um, not with either of us. Right, that's what I want to get to. Now, this is the, the nub of the issue. Um, you did put out uh, uh, tweets and you were quoted saying we're going to... Did you ever name specific companies or do you just talk about opportunities which Vasarian has? No, I did not name specific companies. Uh, I, I'm, I've been in this business for some time, and I've had a very stable clientele for many years. Um, there was one company that was announced in an RNS that others knew that I had a relationship with, both financially and otherwise, and I was able to, to leverage that relationship to a very unique application uh, project moving forward. Um, unfortunately, um, after my departure, I was also um, I was also uh, contacted uh, by by some legal authorities on my interaction with the company that I actually had uh, some ownership in uh, investment. So, uh, in, and if you talk to the companies that are here after my departure, they'll tell you that I did everything I could to be as accommodating to them, but did not at any time and ever offer uh, competitive materials continuing to support uh, the business that I had turned over at the time. So that's the, the, the company that was mentioned in the RNS, which was that? Uh, that was the, uh, the barrier control company, which was BP Polymers. And um, uh, uh, the other uh, hints you were, you were giving hints about sort of verticals areas you were talking to. Now, uh, what... Uh, surprises us because you are. Um, um, I I believe you uh, for the record that you had these very real sales opportunities. I do not believe that you were bullshitting. Um, but uh, if one looks at the revenues which Basarian PLC has generated in the United States from graphene, they're almost nil. I agree. So what's gone wrong? Well, you know, Tom, I was How these in, people just drop graphene completely? Uh, well, the, you know, the, the sales process within the United States specific to emerging technologies is highly relationship dependent. And when you've, when you've been in a process that has interacted with large technology companies and generated those relationships, and over the years, uh, you know, close to 30 years, you've brought them new technology opportunities that have been solid, been able to be confirmed and validated and delivered, <clears throat> you have an opportunity to move that process through very quickly. And in many of those cases, I'm able to move into levels at very large companies, uh, one of the largest in the world uh, that is just you know miles from my home here and a campus that has over 30,000 people. And, you know, it would take some people six months, nine months, maybe two years to get through that. We, we, we were able to move through that very quickly. The issue is, 
uh, after my 90-some days or whatever in the release, and I think the RNS that was released that for some reason inappropriately uh, was not approved and, and made mention of my personal situation uh, in an RNS that for no reason needed to be contained uh, because it had nothing to do with the announcement that was being made. Uh, when, when that crosses people's desk, and they've worked with you for nearly 30 years, um, you know, that that produces a difficult situation. And interestingly enough, I spent the, the next month or so letting people know that it was okay, I was okay, and that, you know, that it's just business, it's the way things move forward. But, uh, you know, not only is this the United States, but this is Texas, and people are very loyal to, to moving forward. So, not necessarily dropping those graphene projects, but a number of those projects have moved forward and they are moving forward in commercialization, as you've seen in some of the announcements from some of the other competitive companies with competitive materials. Having been in exactly the same position as you, Patrick, uh, uh, I sympathize with you and I can say that is true. Uh, people who've dealt with you for many, many years, uh, you leave a company, the company says ridiculous things about you, they stop doing business with that company. They're still your friends um, and uh, and your, your your contacts. So I've been there too, and I agree with you. That is a very likely scenario. So are we saying, therefore, um, because because the man who's taken over from uh, uh, as the head of the U.S. operations, do you know him at all? I do not. I've reached out several times to try and create a transitional opportunity and. Um, and I have not had any response. I've spoken to no one since my departure, so I, I have not. He's a Brit. I He's British. That. I, like a lot of other people, uh, saw his profile on social media, on LinkedIn, which is the only, essentially, that I participate on openly. So uh, outside of that, that's that's about all I know. We, we did have, I of course, I've had an established business for some time, and we were based up in the uh, Frisco area, which is in that same area as uh, Dynavolt for many, many years. And at some point in time, we sold raw material to the company. Uh, and so we were familiar with, you know, the battery production and the development of specific types of energy cells. But outside of that, I, I had no knowledge of the individual specifically. So, so uh, all of the announcements which Vasarian, uh, or all of the, the the hope that Vasarian had given in twenty eighteen, but especially twenty nineteen, uh, about uh, material business coming in in the U.S., uh, you think that's um, th there's nothing there now. Well, no, it's all still there. I think what you're asking me is it is it there and being sold within the Versarian uh, uh, sales and marketing network, I would say no. If you're asking me if that business is still continuing, following on through to evaluation, scale up, uh, pilot and commercialization, absolutely. I, I could name probably close to $25 million annually of sales a year that I know are absolutely moving forward. But they're moving forward with other graphene producers. And other types of 2D materials that were were evaluated based on, you know, the stall. So explain this to me as a non-scientist. Uh, uh, graphene, is graphene a product? We, I mean, people say about how it's a wonder product, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but there are rivals and there are ways to enhance graphene, aren't there? 
Absolutely. There are, there are items out there that have been in existence and other 2D materials, which Versarian does participate in. And, you know, again, the, the big, uh, you know, the over-expectation, the over-promise of the graphene industry has been that it can do all things for all people, and it, and it cannot. It's very specific to application. The production method is very specific to the end use. There are very specific qualifications. It is not a chemical reaction. It's a physical reaction, which when now interacted with chemical reactions, for example, in coatings, uh, can, can create uh, unique benefits, but there are also production requirements and additional formulation requirements that can be um, sometimes more complex than, than others are willing to, to look at. Uh, there are various numbers of price points, as, you, as you've seen, uh, from producers that are out there. It's all over the map. Uh, in fact, there's producers that are now under $20 a kg for a basic graphene that can be sent into you know, concrete and, and uh, asphalts and things like that. And then all the way up to the very complex methods that, that are, are on the higher end, higher value uh, scale. So it, there's there's so many there's so many pieces that that fit together here, and if you don't understand that, that's that's the messaging I'm speaking about. There's been a big void for many years between the messaging coming out of academia and the messaging coming out of actual commercialization, and there's been no bridge to to, to overcome that gap. And so when you get into companies, a lot of companies have you know, a very firm hold on their engineering and their development and their blue sky vision. But when it comes to understanding how that relates to the transfer of the commercialization of the product into the market that gets used in the market for that end user to be able to make a profit off of the use of that material for the production of the product, you, it, it becomes very special to do that. You have to understand how to create that value and how to declare that message and how to lead your customer through that process. I am getting the impression that this industry is one where, a, in many ways, the product, the, the products that there are very a, a wide range of products, but they are in essence a, a commodity, and uh, that it's not just one company that can produce them. There are numerous companies that can produce that suitable products, and that that tells me two things. One is going to be very hard. Uh, to uh, 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 establish any uh, defensive pricing qualities within this industry. And secondly, sales is key to the relationship. It's very key to the relationship, and that relationship is, is predicated on understanding the customer's need. It's understanding the end-use need, and, and the key is having the right relationship within that vertical or that space. What, what, what may be necessary in coatings is different than composites, which could be different than construction, that could be different than you know, electronics. And so you know, understanding the formulations and the technologies that are involved is real key to understanding. For example, when I came on board, I wrote a very extensive global report to, to kind of educate everyone within the company and I immediately identified the 17 basic materials that have a greater than 20-year run life out there in formulations that could potentially be replaced by certain forms of graphene material. Now what we're seeing is the evolution of this synthetic and these biomass graphenes, which essentially give the end-use customer the same property benefits. 
and now they're scalable, they're readily available, uh, they're significantly uh, less expensive uh, per pound here in the U.S. or kg. And so there's there's this evolution of, of raw material development. Uh, is is how, how how up to up to the pace is Vasarian in this respect? I have no idea. Again, you know, 90 some days or whatever it was is a very short period of time. We were, when you look at what we accomplished here in a very short period of time, it's it's uh, it's pretty significant uh, in being able to to get some operations up and running, transfer some key customer. Uh, projects, being able to uh, identify new relationships. So, you know, by the time you get through all of that, it's very difficult to uh, to go back into the deep end of the backside of the business and the strategies and the and the discussions that are occurring there. At so, the point at the point to which you left was uh, Vasarian up to the pace with new synthetic graphenes, etc. Uh, not that I'm aware. I had initiated uh, one collaboration agreement with a potential and set up the opportunity for uh, logistics, raw materials, and manufacturing here in the U.S., and uh, I, I did not uh, facilitate that moving forward. Uh, I, when I left, uh, that was left within the hands of the people there at Versarian. And nothing's happened? I, I don't know. I Again, I've, I've been asked to stay away from that, even though I've been accused of dipping into it with absolutely no substance to those accusations, uh, I don't know that. Okay. Um, looking at the company as a whole, away from the United States, it has incredibly few employees. How on earth can it have the sort of sales relationship which you clearly had uh, with a number of potential customers in the US? How on earth can it hope to have a similar sales relationship in uh, Europe or Asia? Yeah, I don't know the answer to that. You're you're absolutely correct. Uh, again, I, I came into this business um, uh, very highly recruited. Uh, in uh, I've I've had ex beyond again the RNS has been a focal point for me for the last seven or eight months that uh, has been leveraged and weaponized and used and and with with no defense uh, on my performance level. But up to that point. Highly recruited, uh, even initially coming out of Versarian, uh, multiple offers from competitors and peripheral type businesses that that take these materials and modify them and manipulate them and modulate them. So, uh, you know, it's difficult to understand how that would work because uh, I know the effort that I put in here uh, legitimately, and my family will tell you this: these were these were significant, you know, hour work weeks, well into the the hundred plus hours consistently. We were. Uh, dedicated to this business and the individuals that I brought in to help out with this business through lab personnel and managers and people that I had had relationships for many years uh, were completely sold out and, and dedicated to the movement of this business forward. Right. It was only three months of your life. Um, we will speak again, but I wish you best of luck going forward. And thank you for coming on the show and putting the record straight. God yes, bless. Sir, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Patrick Abbott. He's a brave man, you know. Uh, to be a whistleblower uh, requires real, real guts. I suspect that Patrick will get vast amounts of online abuse, 
from shareholders in Vasarian. They will use words like Judas, etc., notwithstanding the fact that the company has clearly treated him extraordinarily badly. Uh, but then uh, these folks like handing out the abuse, and I suspect he may well uh, get lawyers' letters from the company uh, saying you can't say that, uh, even though they terminated his employment. It takes guts to go public as a whistleblower. It takes guts to be a whistleblower at all. I wish more people would be whistleblowers. It would make my life a lot easier if people came forward with information about things that were going wrong. I was once a whistleblower. Did I tell you this? I think I may have mentioned it en passant. It was back in the dot-com boom. I worked for a company called Global Net Financial. Uh, it was a uh, dot-com startup uh, run by some people who I pretty quickly established were prize villains. It had floated on London's AIM Casino at $10 a share and such, uh, uh, or $50 a share, I can't remember what it was, but such was the demand for institutional investors for this obviously completely crap company. Uh, that the management reluctantly agreed to sell tens of millions of dollars of their own shares uh, to those institutions at the time of the IPO. Uh, the share price then started to decline. I was attracted to run uh, uh, to work for it because, uh, A, they paid me vast amounts of money, uh, and B, the head of the editorial team, we owned a website called UK Invest, was uh, my all-time hero uh, in journalism, apart from my uncle, uh, Clive Woolman, a fantastic, gutsy uh, exposer of fraud. I digress slightly. Uh, after a while, uh, I was sitting there one evening with another journalist, uh, the only other journalist there over the age of 30, uh, a guy called Steve Pritchard, who I rather lost touch with and I'd love to meet up with again. I was sitting there with Spritch uh, and he showed me something. Uh, the company Global Net Financial had recently put out a statement uh, boasting of the number of eyeballs it had for its various websites. Uh, it, of course, had no revenue, but in those days of dot-com madness, although the madness was starting to fade at this point, eyeballs were everything. It was assumed that if you had enough eyeballs, this would one day translate into revenue. Uh, the only thing was, uh, as Spritch pointed out to me, uh, that the number of eyeballs it talked about a couple of months ago wasn't the most recent data. Spritch, being an IT-minded fella, tapped away at his computer and showed me that the number had fallen off a cliff. Ah, so we misled the market as a company, had we? Yes, that was the conclusion. Anyhow, uh, I should have gone to the FCA, uh, where I had to be today. That's, of course, the place I went to. But I thought I would go to the management team first. And uh, uh, at that time, as I was presenting Show Me the Money, I was more or less unsackable. Uh, I could have done absolutely anything there. Uh, shagged the office cat. Not, not that we actually had a cat, but I could have done that. And I would have been unsackable. So whereas Spritch very wisely did nothing... I went to see the company's COO and pointed out that we had misled the market and this was fraudulent. He said, let me get back to you on this and uh, I will get back to you. Now, this is where personal tragedy takes over. At that time, uh, uh, my wife, 
was uh, uh, pregnant with what would have been the elder brother of my daughter, Olaf, now at Oxford. Uh, Olaf was herself born heavily premature, uh, and it took three months between her birth at a pound and four ounces uh, and her coming out of hospital. Uh, For the first two months, it was still an if, not a when, she goes home. But I'm afraid her elder brother uh, was in even worse state, and at 26 weeks, uh, we had to put a needle in a non-viable fetus and whatever, whatever, whatever. And this happened at just the time when I was meant to be blowing the whistle. Naturally, my wife was in a fairly bad state, and uh, I wasn't in a great state either. So my employer couldn't do enough for me. Uh, They helped me provide a translator so I could book a place in France, and said, you take off as much time as you want, all fully paid. Naturally, uh, I needed to rush my wife out of the country, and I remember we drove down to the coast, uh, uh, took the uh, 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 Euro Tunnel over to France. We stayed at Agincourt the first night, headed down uh, 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 to Burgundy, where we spent months and months and months. It was great. She'd been given time off work. I was given time off work on full pay. Didn't really think about things at all. Eventually, after about four or five months, we wandered back to uh, Britain. Uh, And, of course, uh, by then, uh, the share price of my employer had completely and utterly collapsed and the ghastly truth was out. But the ghastly truth should have come out a lot more. They played a blinder, just packing me off to France and encouraging me to spend as much time as I want. I probably never needed to go back at all, actually. Uh, But, unfortunately, of course, the company did meet a sticky end. Anyhow, that was my attempt at being a whistleblower. Uh, I never really made much of it, and I think I should have done more at the time. Uh, But I think I have my excuses. My point is, uh, uh, I was the only person, I think, within that organisation who was so bulletproof in terms of being unsackable that I could make a fuss about the fact that the company was committing fraud. Uh, It was defrauding investors by giving a misleading impression of how well it was doing, albeit with a totally useless metric eyeballs. Uh, But the point was, uh, the eyeballs were in a declining pattern, not, as the company had suggested, a rising pattern. But I was the only person who could do it. And even then, I have to admit, I felt pretty shit scared as I approached the chief operating officer, Tom Hodgson, who actually I think was the most honest uh, uh, of the uh, uh, senior executives, the rest being profoundly dishonest. I felt very nervous. It takes guts to be a whistleblower. There should be more of them, uh, and they should be more protected. Anyhow, well done to Patrick. I enjoyed that interview, and I found I understood uh, a lot of the problems that Vasarian faces uh, far more than I did. Ultimately, it is a commodity business. Margins will never be great. Uh, it's all down to the sales relationship. Vasarian has no sales uh, team. It does not have a unique business proposition, and therefore its current valuation is uh, totally crackers. This podcast is, of course, free. Uh, if you enjoy my work, uh, why not sign up to Share Profits? It costs us five ninety nine a month. I do a, pair, uh, a podcast every day. It's called Bearcast. It's about 20 minutes long. Sometimes it's a bit longer. Sometimes it's a bit shorter. Uh, and we produce uh, uh, nine articles a day. Uh, we have forced Viserion itself uh, uh, four times in the past five weeks. We forced it to make a statement coming clean on one of its uh, uh, various aspects of its tr- transgressions in terms of telling the truth to investors. 
we have flagged up an issue, we have contacted AIM regulation and they have forced Vasarian to come clean. Uh, the exposés come every day of the week. Uh, I think there's some pretty good stuff on Tullow and Zenith Energy uh, just yesterday uh, across all sectors of the London market. Uh, 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 it is a great place for analysis and news. And of course, you get my daily bear cast. So I hope you'll think about joining. Uh, it costs just five ninety nine a month. Um, but this podcast is free uh, thanks to the sponsorship of Open Orphan PLC, where I am a shareholder. Uh, one of the few companies which actually will do well out of the coronavirus in, uh, update uh, uh, outbreak, although that is not the reason I am a shareholder. Uh, the fundamentals look bloody good even without that. I hope to have Cathal Friel, uh, the executive chairman, on the show in the next couple of weeks, uh, and we will discuss the company further then. Uh, if you want to know more about it before then, uh, just follow it uh, on Twitter, at Open Orphan, uh, and you can get links to some of its recent presentations and videos, which uh, are pretty illuminating, and I think the shares are jolly cheap, but I would say that, wouldn't I? Anyhow, maybe it's time for another quick break. Well, my second guest today is the godfather of my son, Joshua, the bard of the bowling. Better not talk about football at the moment. Uh, the infamous Bear Raider, Lucian Myers. Uh, Lucian, uh, my first guest was a whistleblower. Have you ever been a whistleblower? Um, not as far as I'm aware, no. I haven't hadn't had much to blow whistles about. <laughs> no. Well, not even when you work for a dodgy bucket shop stockbroking firm. No, we were very um, very right and proper. We, I don't think we did anything that required any whistleblowing. Mm. Yes, OK. Um, now, um, uh, the uh, markets, uh, when we spoke last, the stock market was sailing higher. Uh, you were thinking of resigning. You were thinking of going into retirement. Uh, I gather you're off on holiday to, uh, to, to the Far East uh, tomorrow. Send my regards to uh, Gary Glitter. Um, but uh, uh, you were thinking of just going out there and never coming back. I take it the past seven days for you as a short seller have been the most profitable of um, living memory. Well, I have missed out on a few things, but yes, I did uh, write quite recently that I think this um, rather complacent uh, consensus that everything was going to be absolutely fine until uh, November... And, and the elections, because Trump would keep the market up, um, <clears throat> you, uh, uh, w w should not be relied upon too much, because these sort of black swan events, of which uh, coronavirus is clearly one, do occur just when you don't expect them. And I think uh, that this coronavirus thing, whilst in medical terms, I'm not quite sure. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, not an expert, but I, I think probably people are making a bit too much of it. But clearly in the economic terms, given the state of the market at which it's, it's sort of hit uh, uh, the, the, the world, um, I grotesquely overbought, is, um, you know, rightly making people pretty concerned. And I think a market set-off was bound to happen anyway, but this seems to be the catalyst for it. OK, this is market sentiment, but uh, it is driven by fears that the real economy will snarl up um, because of coronavirus. How, how badly could it snarl up? Well, 
I mean, it depends on your time frame. I mean, clearly Q1 is going to be a total write-off. Um, Q2, I mean, they're talking about, for instance, you know, the Olympics being cancelled, which suggests that going into Q3. I mean, I don't know. But the fact is that the market, which has been priced for absolute perfection, uh, and the fact that everybody has reckoned, rightly, since 2009, that the Fed is, ha, has the market's back, and the, and the market cannot fall more than 20% because the Fed will step in and, and uh, uh, make things right. That coronavirus doesn't really fit, fit the bill there. I mean, it doesn't, you know, I'm not sure what the Fed can do. Uh, because the, the, idea, the idea is that historically the central banks respond by just printing vast amounts of money and slashing yeah. interest rates to zero. But if we're all terrified we're going to get die if we uh, shake hands with uh, any Italians, it's not going to make any difference. Well, I think it's, yeah, I mean, it's obviously the whole sort of supply chain uh, problems are, are going to be very, very, very severe. Uh, the economy was slowing anyway. I mean, the, bo the bond rates are absolutely ridiculous and telling you that, uh, I mean, the 30-year Treasury bond briefly today was under, you know, overnight money, Fed funds. So that is telling you that there are some very serious times times round the corner. And yet the stock market is still, I mean, if you think in December of 2018, it got to within a whisker of uh, a 20% fall. It didn't quite, which is the technical definition of a bear market. I mean, as I'm looking at it now, we're down about 11%. And I would think that this is sufficiently serious to take us into bear market territory, which in the terms of the Dow, which has come down from, what, 30,000, a whisker away from 30,000, 26 now, would take it down to about another 10%, would take it down to about 22, 23. And uh, given that Trump um, judges his success by the level of, of the S&P or Wall Street, um, that leads to you know, worries about, about Trump's own position and whether, whether dear old Bernie and or Bloomberg could actually beat him in that. Uh, well, by next week, November. we're going to have had the Super Tuesday yes, primaries. Yes. And I suspect um, that Bernie is going to sweep the board. Uh, and therefore, it could be a double whammy. The market just yeah. about picks up from coronavirus. And then the Americans go and elect a commie in the White House. Well, I think that the, the, the two are connected. I mean, obviously, you know, if the market really tanks and uh, we get and, and the coronavirus triggers a recession, then that is obviously going to make, you know, whether it'll happen or not, we don't know. But it'll certainly make people start, you know, discounting the possibility, of, which, which it is not doing now, even though it's down 10% from the 12th of February, which was the all-time high. It's nothing like discounting the chances of uh, Bernie getting in. And obviously, the, the worse the, eco the economy gets and the further the mar stock market falls, the further bond yields fall, the more likely it is that people are going to start thinking, hang on a minute, we haven't factored in a Bernie, a Bernie win in November. Because in that situation, I think, you know, the market really will take fright. Well, probably, you know, the, the thought of, a, 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 you know, say a, an odds-on chance of Bernie winning the election would frighten the market more than the, the coronavirus problems, which will, may well be out of the way by November. Mm. Now, in terms of, of the market, I, I mean, I'm wondering, we've, the, the, we've talked about uh, people with supply chain issues or direct exposure to mm -hmm. Asia, where the problem seems to be the worst. 
um, that I know I've flagged up on share profits, tell it with 20% of its sales in China and, and, and Asia, uh, oh, and uh, 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 a lot of supply chain issues. There's a company waiting to have a profits warning. Both myself and Matt Earl have flagged up IQE. Uh, I know Matt is short of electric components on that basis. Mm. Do you only sort of supply chain shorts? Well, with modern, with modern uh, just-in-time supply chain, uh, the way that supply chains work with uh, manufacturers, is that you can name virtually any manufacturing stock. I mean, take Apple or, you know, any of the drug companies or, you know, say you're making a, a, a drug in, in the state uh, which m m may compose, what, 20, 30, up to 50 different components or, or, or ingredients. There, there, there's bound to be, you know, at least five coming from China. And if you haven't got the... And, and, uh, ditto... Um, you know, car manufacturers, you know, they're always going to be, you know, if there's just one part in a thousand that comes from China and is constrained by this coronavirus and you don't get it, then you can't, you can't sell the car. You can if you're Tesla, you know, just because you've got, you got no brake pads, put a bit of sticky tape on, it'll be fine. Well, that's true. But, but yes, Tesla might try and get away with it. But, but I mean, I think, you know, pr practically any major manufacturer um, uh, of, of anything is sourcing a lot. I think, you know, people are going to have to look long and hard about this now, is, is, is sourcing stuff from China and or the East or, you know, Vietnam or wherever it might be, Korea. And um, it, it is going to cause huge problems. Um, I mean, look, what's happening in Hong Kong has just handed every single citizen, which is what, about six million people or more than that? They've just given them a grand each and said, go out and spend. I mean... But you even know, so, are I very much they are going to go out and spend. They'll well, sit they're... at home and, uh, and get spend it on home delivery pizza. They're not going to go out. Well, the, uh, the point that they're, they're having to do this just shows you how serious the, the whole thing is. Uh, for the but are you, are, the thing about uh, uh, the, the stocks we mentioned, Tellit, IQE, uh, electric components, certainly the first two, I'm not a great expert on electric components, is that they're very much... Uh, weak stocks, uh, 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 IQE, very weak balance sheet, Telit used to be run by a fraudster, um, a very, very poor cash generation, etc. So they're the sort of, uh, uh, you know, when the tide goes out, you see who's, who's swimming with no trunks. Uh, they're far more wearing no trunks than, say, GlaxoSmithKline, which might take a temporary hit because it can't get a bit of a, you know, one microbe for one of its products from China. Yeah, I'm. I'm thinking more of the of the kind of really overvalued stocks that have driven this market up. Like, for instance, Apple is a good example, um, which I don't think is either a growth stock or a value stock. It's just a a stock that everybody has to have in their exchange traded funds, index funds, everything. And I think whilst you can play around in in um, Telet, IQE, these kind of things. I am short of IQE, incidentally. I haven't looked at Telet for a bit. I think there is a big opportunity here in the next... They don't come around very often. Certainly, possibly the biggest I've seen since uh, uh, 2009. Well, in, obviously, in the benefit of hindsight, since 2009. Um, December 2018 was a, bit of a, was a bit of a false dawn. But if you get what I think we're going to get... and um, at this this sort of period, Q1, Q2, an unravelling of the excesses of the 12-year bull market, 
then I think some of these loony US stocks are the place to look because, I mean, if you look at a chart of Apple, you'd think it was some sort of small um, oil and gas exploration company. It's just gone up vertically throughout the whole of last year, 200 to 300, bang, just like that. And, uh, you know, it's liquid, it trades all the time. So right at this moment, these are the ones I'm playing rather than trying to second guess when the market gets... So you're short Apple, Tesla? I'm short Tesla. I've dipped my toe into Tesla now. I see they're now just trading. Um, you know, they've been, they've, Tesla have dropped 20% from their high. So they've doubled, they've doubled the drop from the market, obviously, after an absolutely um, stonking rise. I mean, I think they, they started the year at, what, 400, something like that? So, but it, again, you know, these things, I think, these bubble stocks, these massive bubble stocks, and I don't think there's been anything, any any stock like Tesla in history. I mean, the films and and uh, books and everything that's going to be written about once this saga is over. But it's just these sort of stocks which... And look at um, Richard Branson's thing, which is absolutely absurd, Virgin Galactic. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. And, and again, I, I'm not short there because it's very difficult to borrow. I mean, they're down 21% today. Um it's these what about, what about the other fangs? Uh, Facebook, Netflix, Google? I, I think all of them. The only one that I, I sort of avoid shorting at the moment is Netflix because, um, you know, people think, well, with this coronavirus thing, there's nothing to do except sit at home and, and watch Netflix. And if you, you haven't got Netflix, you better get it because there's going to be a lot of sitting at home going on. Well, They've also come out with some good news. I don't know what it was, but... I certainly think, you know, um, I think the fa- I mean, if you look at the fangs, which made up, I think, 18, one, eight percent, five stocks of the entire S&P 500 and are, are, are largely responsible for its uh, 20, 29 percent rise last year and, in, and its, its rise over the last four or five years, um, these are, will lead the way down. And they, they, they're already showing signs of that, whereas your frauds are all rock solid for the first, you know, few days, weeks of a bear market because, you know, they keep on, they, they keep on producing. Well, if you're a fraud, you can still, you know, as I was saying about Telis earlier today, in the in the, uh, in the days when Telit was an out and out fraud, it used to, its distribution in Vietnam was a bicycle repair shop. Doesn't matter yeah. if the whole village drops dead of coronavirus, it's still going to be booking revenues and profits because they're fraudulent. Yeah, but when you I become mean, a real business. Then it becomes a bit harder if everyone's dropping dead. Absolutely. I mean, my four frauds, my four favourite frauds, uh, one of which is rock solid today owing to its shares being suspended, all did very well yesterday. The NMC was up yesterday, and my other three US frauds were all also up yesterday. That's, what are the three so, US frauds? Um, QTT. Uh, which we've discussed a, before. We've yeah. we discussed before. Opera, which we've dis- we've discussed before, and a fraud called, which in fact uh, Muddy Waters tweeted about, but somebody else did the work on it. I just read it, and it's a it's a chain of coffee shops in China. What's it called? Luckin Coffee. LK is the code. But again, Yes, it is a fraud. So the numbers are brilliant, despite the fact that its business is purveying coffee to uh, 
to people who are locked up at home, but it's still reporting record earnings. Fantastic. What could go wrong? But, I mean, it's clearly a complete fraud, but they were rock solid yesterday. Now they're beginning to come off and, and, and the others are beginning to come off. But it's always the case, you know, at the beginning of a bear market, you want to be shorting the liquid stuff because that's what people are getting out of to pay for, you know, they're, they're all sitting on big profits. You know, it's only now, probably today, that there are, that's anyone long who's losing money on Tesla or Apple or, you know, Facebook's a bit different, Amazon, uh, Google, Al Alphabet. I mean, people are now beginning to lose money on them. And here, here you'll see they're all uh, underperforming Wall Street today. I mean, Wall Street's all over the shop today, but it's what the Dow is down, the low of the day pretty much, 700 as we speak. It's been, you know, down 2.8%, whereas you've got your Apple down 4.5% uh, now. Right. Um, but, no, so, I mean, so, yeah, can I mean, we go so, back to coronavirus a second? Yeah. We've talked about the supply chain possible implications. Is there a worst case scenario? I tell you, I'm going to be looking at football grounds in the UK over the weekend. I reckon the tendency is going to be sharply down. Yes, I, I think so. They've they've uh, postponed obviously the Italy Ireland game. I mean, these things have huge. If you think about you know the beer that won't be consumed at um, where, where, wherever they play in Ireland, or you know you can see why these uh, the brewers just warned. Um, and Diageo has warned, and I mean, it, it, you know, you you take out all these sporting events, you take out all these, uh, you know, the Venice Carnival was cancelled. These kind of big shows. But, it, but isn't, isn't, isn't there a wider thing? Uh, is, is it's it's fear. Uh, I see absolutely. that the Israeli foreign ministry has today uh, told its citizens don't travel abroad unless you have to. Yeah. Not just I mean, to Italy, to anywhere. I mean, and, I've heard that there's a couple of schools in England that have closed down because some of the pupils have, are, are of Italian origin. I mean, yeah. it, do, it does. And, and Japan, you see, Japan has closed down all the schools for a month. And incidentally, I, do, I don't really see the logic in this because apparently if the only people who are safe from coronavirus are kids. I don't think there's... I, I think I read somewhere today that there hasn't been a single death of anybody under the age of 10. Well, I know you go to school over the age of 10, but um, I do think that there is an overreaction. But of course... What they I should be doing is locking down the old people's homes. Well, they're probably doing that. But um, you can't really blame the authorities, I suppose, because, you know, on the one that will, which people are blaming Trump, I mean, you can't just say, say, oh, don't worry, everything will be fine, we'll pull through it, it'll blow over. I mean, you and I can say that, but um, you can't say that if you're running a country. And obviously, it's got to be taken very seriously. I think that, uh, like in all these situations, people tend to uh, overreact. And uh, the but more yeah, overreaction I'm there is, worse it is. I'm interested in how the state state responds, Lucien, uh, as to how individuals respond. And it's all very well saying, it's one thing, the Irish Rugby Football Union saying they don't want a whole load of um, uh, 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 infected Italians turning up in Dublin on, on March the 7th. What I'm interested in is people's total fear is that it stops them going out to restaurants. It stops them going to football matches. I was talking to my wife today. We are thinking of cancelling a foreign holiday because we don't fancy being in Manchester Airport. Yeah, well, obviously it's horses for courses. I mean, I'm going out east tomorrow and I'm taking a, um, 
my wife has very kindly bought me some masks, which incidentally Boots didn't have. I said, have you sold out? They said, no, we don't stock them. But uh, I bought them from a DIY shop, or she bought them for me. Um, and uh, it, it, it depends. I mean, obviously, there are some people who are going to be ultra cautious and not step outside, not go to restaurants, not go to the cinema, not go to airports, not go to football matches. And, and other people will be... be oh, uh, like you're just jetting off to the Far East to coronavirus uh, 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 hotspots. Well, I'm not going to a hotspot. I mean, in fact, funny not enough, yet, talk, talking technically, hotspots are where you want to be because apparently it doesn't, I don't know anything about it, but apparently that heat, it, it doesn't really like heat, which is why I think people are maybe exaggerating the risk of it going to sub-Saharan Africa. It's mostly uh, cold, cold places that have got it. But I, I don't know enough about it. Maybe it will thri thrive in but it's all media, isn't it? The more the media whip it up, which it's certainly doing, then the more people are going to think, uh, God, it's a pandemic now. You know, what, it, what exactly is a pandemic? You know, it's an epidemic that has spread to the whole world. Um, so, yeah, obviously, the more, the more, the more it's whipped you up get by very the media, the more... You've got that MP who says she's a pansexual, and she's not spreading to the whole world, is she? Well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't anyhow. Anyway, I think that, yeah, yeah. I mean, the thing is, quite clearly, this um, coronavirus, um, what effect it'll have on people medically, we don't know. But economically, it is already showing signs of causing major, major problems and quite possibly, and in my uh, view, probably going to cause the first bear market, which is another 3,000 points on the Dow Jones, i.e. a drop of 20% from February the 12th, which was the all-time high. Um, uh, almost certainly, in my view, during Q1, Q2. And it's a matter now of whether we, we... Q1 now is a total global write-off. It's a question of to what extent it's, it spreads to Q2, Q3 and, and further on. Goldman Sachs, I see today, saying that for the whole of 2020, they're expecting US corporate earnings to be flat at best. Yeah, so that's that basically means that th this thing is it, it, it's pretty unlikely that we're not going to see a recession this year, if you think about it. I mean, we yeah. you know, 0.1% growth without coronavirus. I mean, I can't see how we can avoid a recession. Now, and that's what the bonds are telling you. That is why you can borrow money um, for tomorrow at a greater rate than for 30 years time. I mean, think about that. It's, it, it, it's ridiculous. I mean, okay. it, it, yeah. Let's move on. Now, while stocks have been crashing across the board, uh, one bright spot has been Delarue. Yes. <laughs> yes, I, I apologise. Does that have to be the worst call in history? That it was the very next day, and and it was a toss-up when I wrote the thing between that and NMC, and I, I sort of thought, well, Delarue's, you know, it's, but NMC is so. Uh, opaque, or was at the time. That uh, um, anyway, I went for Delarue. This I, was I'm sure it's already this of Delarue. something that happened last Friday. Lucian said the best short going is Delarue at 108p, and the shares are now about one pound forty-five. Whereas NNC yeah. has obviously gone, um, been suspended. Yeah. But, but um, um, the fact is, with Delarue, is that by chance or by they had a great trading statement. I didn't think it was a great trading statement at all. They came out with a whole load of waffle, just like they'd said in. Uh, November, saying we're not going to be in breach of our banking governments by the end of the financial year, which is next month. Well, so what? They didn't, they didn't say anything about the debt or future bank governments. And the fact is that the, the, the 
I think you can always feel fairly comfortable being short of something which has negative net assets, I, meaning that the equity is worth a minus amount. That's total equity, including intangibles and everything. Um, they're going to turn can't... the business round. They're talking about cost-cutting. Yes, yeah, well, good luck to them. But I just can't, you know, it's a, it's, it's a shrinking business. It's been badly run. The chances of this guy coming in and... T- how do you turn around a company that's business is in terminal decline, is over-indebted? I mean... Why is it in know... terminal decline? Sorry, Lucy, I'm being dim here, but we're, we all still use banknotes, don't we? Well, I don't very much. Um, but, well, A... The, the use of banknotes is shrinking very, very rapidly. Two, uh, as they found out, when they do print banknotes to countries that print, when when they sell banknotes to countries that print them all the time, like Venezuela, Venezuela um, omits to pay them and they have to write off 18 million pounds. Um, and banknotes are also a great deal more, you know, our banknotes now are a great deal more durable. So they last a lot longer because you, know, you can put them in the washing machine and they're basically not made of paper, they're made of plastic. So your average £10 note now will last until it's next redesigned, which happens every sort of, what, five, ten years. Whereas the old banknotes, you know, would get taken out of circulation after a couple of years. So... Uh, no, I think it is a shrinking business. The, what wasn't a shrinking business was their identification passport business, which uh, was sold. Uh, so they they haven't got that anymore, and they they lost the contract um, for making passports. To sorry, the international identity solutions uh, business was sold for forty two million in cash, and uh, they've and they've lost they lost the passport contract to the to the French which uh, I think at the time they reasonably complained about, given Brexit and everything, why we can't... Everyone's bragging about our new blue passports. You know, why do they have to be made in France and not by Delarue? It probably tells you something about Delarue's pricing and organisation that they didn't get the contract. But anyway, it was unfortunate timing. It rose 20% the day after I said sell it, so I have to, you know, own up to that. But I still... Are you still short? Yes, I am. I sold... Well, I sold some more at 108, but I was already short higher up, to be fair. So um, I'm not actually losing... You're staying short? I'm absolutely staying short. Until we actually I mean, see it's, it's, what, it's, the, what this turnaround plan does. I mean, it's all just waffle. Uh, target, you know, it's targeted, targeting improved profitability. It's just, you know, there's nothing there to grab hold of. Um, Going back to the uh, people who are swimming without trunks, I was flagging up today Tullow Oil, which company drowning in debt. Mm. Uh, and where the earnings visibility has got to be absolutely crushed. They've already warned on cash flow generation numbers. Now, with the oil price doing what it's doing, uh, they could be in serious trouble. You do not want to be long of companies which have got a big debt problem, do you? No, I don't know about Tallow. I did actually short them and close them too early a while back. And the reason I did, which is quite interesting in, um, on the bulletin board front, is that Every now and then, when you read skirt through these bulletin boards on things, you you get a, an expert. And on the Tallow board, so what, when the stock was trading at about 40p, incidentally, um, there was a guy, and you can just get the sense who clearly knew what he was talking about. He was an oil man. And I didn't quite understand what he was saying, but it sounded pretty convincing, which is that the two wells that were producing at the same time were very close to each other and therefore supposed to be connected and then they started varying which he said 
suggested that what they said they have there, they quite it's quite likely they don't have there, and it's far far more high risk than the your average private Joe was was uh, factoring in. So I sort of thought, yeah, that's and and he went into a sort of detail about how he thought the company were being a bit economic economic with the truth and I thought without being able to understand it because I don't understand oil and gas companies um, that this sounds pretty convincing and sure enough he's been he said I've sold out because the risk he, he wasn't short but he dumped the stock at around about 40p he said the, the, after their last uh, update operational update he said this is just uh, you know just too risky and um, dump them. And, and um, I think, yeah, I think there's a very good chance. I mean, that horizontal fracking business is highly, uh, highly uh, um, speculative and risky. And um, but the real issue know, for Tallow is, is not, is not uh, um, uh, whether you, you understand uh, basics of oil analysis, which, uh, 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 of course, some of us did train in that area, but uh, it is the fact is drowning in debt. And yeah, it's, but, 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 it's not an explorer. And uh, uh, the cash it generates from operations is going to be crushed by the oil price. Well, yeah, I think it's more. I think there was a, probably enough headroom there with because it was such an exciting project, which is why it got to a market cap, and they were able to w raise about half a million quid, I think, to get the thing going. I mean, the project was supposed to be so exciting that it probably could have weathered a fifty-one uh, fifty-one dollar price on Brent crude, but. The metrics, you know, it's all, it, was, it was all just, you know, if it's there, we can afford to pay off the debt um, because there's so much oil there. But like these things, the oil comes out on the test wells, uh, it sort of gushes out. But I seem to remember we had this com uh, conversation with UK oil and gas, but particularly with the basement fracking, you know, it can come gushing out and then bang, it just disappears on you. And then they're in serious trouble. And there's, it seems to be, you know, quite possible that this this is what could be happening there and uh, i you know it's just it's just uh, option money isn't it either way um, okay let's move on from uh, something you clearly have a, a, a detailed understanding of to uh, nmc um the shares suspended today uh, the company admitted late last night that basically it was a fraud it doesn't know what its cash position is uh, its profits have been overstated and uh there appears to be a huge uh, uh, new liabilities it's liable for, thanks to Dr. Shetty. Yeah. What lessons do we learn from this? Well, a number of lessons. One, talk about, uh, you know, shutting stable doors after horses are bolting. I see that the FCA have rather pompously today uh, <laughs> initiated a formal inquiry <laughs> into uh, into this stock. Um at two thirty. Well, Given their track record, that's going to absolutely um, terrify the <laughs> LNC, isn't it? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'm not. You know, the whole thing. Uh, you know, it's just. Uh, um, I think, as you pointed out somewhere, you know, with frauds, um, you can't sort of say, well, it's looking cheap because because if somebody is alleging it's a fraud, they're either right or they're wrong. And if if it's somebody with muddy waters his track record, who's questioning the cash and the accounting. You know, you can't just say, well, it's looking very cheap, but people do make these mistakes. Um, the, I think it was just before today, it was just totally uninvestable because even Carson Block didn't have a clue as, and, and, and quite freely admitted as to how far down the rot went. You know, he said it's a stonking sell at whatever they were at the time, 25 
uh, pounds a share. Once it gets to 10, I don't know whether he's covered it or not, but you just don't know what's there. Well, we do now know that the thing is a, obviously a complete fraud. Um, so the lesson we, there is... Uh, and not, and a lot the shares of, are likely to go to zero. I think almost certain to go to zero, not likely. To, I, I cannot see any other outcome. Than and do you zero. think the fact uh, that Dr Shetty uh, played for time by saying he was having an independent review of Carson's allegations, uh, that they would take legal action, uh, he got his PR people at FTI to smear journalists mm. who criticised them uh, and got them to get other journalists to smear Carson. And meanwhile, he used all that time playing for time to sell nearly all of his shares... Uh, if he hadn't sold them already. Uh, do you think in light of that, he's going to go to prison? I don't know what the rules are. I mean, I, I, the United Arab Emirates is probably not that high up on the list of, uh, of um, you know, uncorrupt countries, put it that way. And I don't know what the legal system is there. I don't know where it will go to court. Um, what's interesting is I was thinking of Finabler, but they obviously opened... Uh, a great deal down, but I would I would think it's almost certain that Finabler is going to get dragged into this. Obviously, the, there's going to be lawsuits flying around all over the shop, from the clients who who bought the NMC stock out of greed, which was placed by Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank. Um, they they didn't buy it because they like yeah. yeah they didn't buy it because they liked the stock. They bought it because Credit Suisse offered it to them at twelve quid when it was trading at fifteen, and they probably thought, oh, well, you know, well. Stuff their clients into it and all the rest of it. I mean, the other lesson to learn is that a lot of poor private clients went barreling in on the basis of this idiot called Richard Chandler of Claremont Capital, who's some New Zealander worth a billion, uh, bought a 3% stake in it. And I noticed from, apparently from the FT, uh, an FT thing I read, um, he also barreled into Sino Forest after the Muddy Waters report on Sino Forest. So it's, there's obviously a bit of sort of, you know, uh, aggro. But we, we've seen that before. Well, I mean, what an idiot. We, and, we and, have and, the idiots like, remember, David Serra yeah. uh, uh, filling his boots with Quindell stock or getting 3%. And suddenly uh, a lot of private investors thought, well, is this man who's a, a, you know, a hedge fund genius, friend of David yeah. Cameron, etc.? We can't go wrong. So the lessons are that these billionaires make ridiculous mistakes. And, and just because some guy that you've heard of is, runs a fund and is worth one billion um, has spun 26, I worked it out as being roughly 60 million. I don't know what he paid for it, but 60 million pounds. To, to, to that, I think, is probably the most important takeaway from this. Oh, well, the institutions were buying it at 12 and Chandler was buying 3% of the company um, and he must know what he's doing because he runs a billion-pound hedge fund or investment fund, um, and he's put 60 million in. It must be okay. Now these guys have absolutely no fiduciary duty at all to the private client. But as well as losing the money for himself, he's also not—it's not his fault. But people have followed him, and because they followed him, have also lost. Again, I'll lose everything on this one. I mean, I, I'd, and I would—I would think it's inconceivable that this one ever gets re-quoted or um, the, the shareholders get anything. Incidentally, Finabler will get dragged into it as well because Finabler um, had a huge loan around about the time of the IPO to Shetty and Shetty paid it off. And how did he pay it off? Well, 
probably from these dodgy loans that he got against NMC. So uh, prediction, you heard it here first, NMC will be suing Penabler for that money back, and it was about 300 million. So, um, you know, I'm not, I'm not involved in Penabler, but for choice, I'd probably be short because the, the, the two are all the same ownership structure. It's very unlikely that, you know, you've got one company run, by the, run and owned by the same guys, which is a complete fraud, and the other one is fine. Well, Finabla's fallen 75%, and there is a business there with Travelex. But again, this thing's going to be embroiled in all sorts of, you know, how, how was Shetty able to pay them back 300 million? Probably from these things that have emerged yesterday on NMC. Not probably, but possibly. But whatever happens, the, the lawyers will be going at each uh, at Finabla, I would think, if there's any money there, if there's any Shetty money still there. Mm. Um, but the whole thing is a complete mess. And, and also, you know, just lastly on it, the, the, you know, the, the role of the London Stock Exchange in promoting these dodgy companies, Ernst & Young auditing it, you know, the brokers, people, it's not, it's not just muddy waters coming out with a bombshell. People have known about NMC. It was one of the largest short positions around the FCA and the stock exchange uh, re regulation must have their ear to the ground. They know what people are saying and doing. And, and this thing of just having, uh, allowing these overseas companies uh, to float without any sort of uh, due proper due diligence done on them. And uh, just in order to obviously now that the London Stock Exchange, you know, it's a profit making. So the, the standards, I think, I, I hope that this will be a huge wake up call to uh, the standards uh, 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 of the London Stock Exchange. Because as I think, again, you pointed out, it's not just AIM. It's, um, you know, we've now got a FTSE company, which has, uh, was pu has publicly accused of fraud, what, three weeks ago now, four weeks ago? And um, it, it, it takes four weeks for anyone to do anything about it and for them it to be dragged out of them that this thing it's is December, completely... It was mid-December uh, the 17th. Okay, so we're talking two months, two, two and a yep. bit months. And um, th these things really, I think, in hindsight, should have been suspended ages ago. And right yep. on, the, on, 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 the, on the announcement of the share sales, when and they couldn't work out who's, who owned what, it should have been suspended then. And it would have saved... Uh, you know, a lot of a lot of uh, people, a lot of money. I.e., the punters who went piling in after that. It would have just been. Jim, the, the point I would like to make is is um, the uh, the role of the Deadwood Press, with one or two honourable exceptions, and much though I think they're a bunch of wankers, the FT were an honourable exception. Were batting uh, 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 quite uh, both in in, the, in the, the recent muddy waters battles. Were certainly battling for batting for Burford. Uh, and uh, clearly we're also, to some extent, batting for NMC uh, in their coverage uh, because of this hostility to, to, to Bear Raiders, but also not wanting to piss off the, the brokers, the, uh, the, the advisors, the PR firms. Uh, they've again covered themselves in, in, in manure. But I was one particular quote from the Sunday Times last week where they quoted a top 10 holder. Do you remember that? A top ten holder, no. He no. was an institutional fund manager. He didn't want to be named, but he very pompously said, oh, this Muddy Waters organisation, they're very shadowy. They just throw a few bits of mud, make a few insinuations, and hope some of it stick. Well, you know, we've got full confidence in the management and the shares look very cheap. And you think, 
what you know this guy's managing hundreds of millions if not billions of pounds at some big financial house what a half-witted knobhead yeah well first of all i agree with you on the ft i think they've been very very good on lmc and i think they've been good on burford they've been good on wirecard i think they're their team is very good, and and uh, uh, hats off to them. And, uh, as to the no, no, Flo, but that's enough nice things about the FT, which also <laughs> uh, claims, uh, claims credits for our scoops on Quindo, uh, Globo, uh, and, and Woodford, and much else. Anyway, um, yeah, I well, I think that's uh, amazing. But you know, it's David, Sarah, at Quindell all over again, and people do it all the time. This fellow I've just mentioned called uh, Chandler. Um, you know, I don't know. I mean, I think. Are people any worse with Bears than they were a few years back? I mean, I think there's quite a lot of grudging respect now for Muddy Waters because he's been banged to rights on his last few his last few calls. Um, I would, I would, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think Bears are uh, because when the markets go, have been going up in a straight line for ten years, I think people feel rather sorry for Bears, probably on the whole. Uh, that's uh, wishful thinking. Wishful thinking. Probably now. Yeah, they, they they, many people have celebrated your uh, uh, troubles. Now, before we go, one final thing. Uh, obviously, I've discussed uh, Vasarian at great length uh, with my first guest. But uh, what are your thoughts on Vasarian now? Um, well, the price. You're short, good. obviously. Yes, I am. I mean, I, I'd, I'd close these things at. 10p. I mean, that's. I'm not. I would close it before that unless I'm forced to. Um, I, you know, I, there's nothing there, and I think that's pretty clear now. Um, We've now had four admissions in the space of five weeks from the company, um, uh, uh, all of which issues I have sent off to the FCA and AIM regulation. AIM regulation have forced the company to come clean. That's a bad sign, isn't it? When you have yeah. to drag the truth out of these folks. Yeah, I mean, I think the, there's the games up there. Um, you know, they, may, they might have a few rallies uh, along the way, but, you know, there is the, the, they haven't got a business. That's their problem. And, you know, just the stack of, you know, misleading uh, hype that they've come out with over the last over the last year to 18 months has now come, come back to bite them. And, you know, obviously the market, they can... I mean, for them, I think this corona thing is a blessing in disguise because... Ricketts can blame Corona for uh, all his problems, um, but yeah, I mean the thing—the thing is just ridiculous. I mean, I can't. Why know. did you say you close at ten p? Because we, we, you know, basically this company, we, we know the nomads resigned. Can according, that's the fifth nomad to resign. Um, we know that uh, the company's put out statements for our RNS, which are lies. We know that Ricketts has lied on Twitter. We know he's gone into the Discord chat room group and uh, where all sorts of nonsense went on. Uh, we know the company uh, is almost out of cash. Uh, it will have net debt by uh, 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 the end of, ooh, possibly the end of this month, actually. Uh, it will have net debt and it will run out of cash by the end of uh, uh, May. Um, why do you say the target price is 10p? Well, because at 10p, they, the company would be worth 15 million, right? But it's not worth 15 million. That's no, a bag no, no, of no, no, shit. No, no, That's worth nothing. Not, yeah, I agree. I agree with that. But, you know, there are plenty of stock. Every There, there are plenty of worthless stocks on AIM worth 15 million. I mean, you know, at 15 million, you know, I th I'm, you know you, you've got to leave a bit on the table. I mean, it could take ages to get from 15 uh, to 
zero, if it goes to zero. I mean, like a lot of these things get taken out by uh, as you know reverse takeovers to go and do something. Adam Reynolds reverses something into them. Yeah, yes. just like what happened with. Pursuit Dynamics, which never went bust. It just changed its name and got reversed into. And, you know, at the time, there was a bit of excitement, you know. So at 15 million, it all gets a bit marginal. I mean, you know, 59 million, 60 million, I think it is now, is it 60 million? Is obviously ridiculously high, but 15 million, it all, it all gets a bit marginal. I mean, there are plenty of, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know, I just, 10p just seems a sort of arbitrary amount, but, um, yeah, so you see getting there just because people will gradually wake up to the fact that the company is running out of money. There's got to yeah. be a cash call. The cash call will be bloody and messy. It will be with bucket shops. It will be as a discount. There may be a death spiral. Uh, it's going to be a horrible process, and that will just drag the shares down to the low teens, at yeah. which point you'll say, I'll take my winnings and move on to a better target. Absolutely, and... Uh... The, the the longs it's more what the longs do is um they it's like what happens with all these sort of pump pumped up stocks they they get they get depressed they blame everybody and eventually they just sell up and move on uh quieten down for a bit and then go for the next one you know you probably find you know the, the same people in versaria now used to be in um, I don't know, UK oil and gas or something. And every now and then something works and that gets their courage back. But yeah, I mean, sooner or later, you, you know, you'll find the chit chat on the bulletin board starts slowing down. The, the volume in the stock goes down, the stock goes down and people just move on, you know, and think, oh, well, we've learned, hopefully, because I'm sure a lot of them are very nice people and uh, worthy people. And in other walks of life, intelligent and thoughtful people they'll, they'll think well I've learned a lesson here I won't make that mistake again the lesson is next time I won't call Tom Winifreth a paedophile I'll listen to what he says <laughs> because actually he's a damn good journalist yeah well, I don't think that's going to happen well I, it, it does happen hopefully I mean I've occasionally learned occasionally it happens I, most I of the time, of people most make of the time the they say oh yeah that Ricketts he was a sod but uh, the, the, the global shorting conspiracy has brought down another British company and uh, Tom Winifred's still a paedophile. And they, and uh, oh, he runs, a, he works in a pizza restaurant, all this shit, and they carry on with it. So, to those folks, I hope you enjoy poverty. Well, yeah, okay. Well, to be a bit kinder, let's hope for some of the younger people who got involved and have lost a lot of money, you know, they think that they'll, they will learn from it and they'll think next time, you know, I'll be a little bit more critical before I just go barreling into the, to, to a situation like this. Is but, there, is, there is a scenario, of course, where the shares go to zero, isn't there? Uh, and that is that uh, 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 it's now on its sixth nomad. You would have thought if... if uh, runs out if, of nomads. <clears throat> it, it runs out of... Well, it, it, if there's another nomad resignation, uh, and, you know, there there is this suggestion that Ricketts is now planning to go back on the podcast trail, if he says something outrageous in a podcast, tells a blatant lie, um, uh, that he loses another nomad. And that stage, I, I kind of think, He's out of nomads. Uh, is there a limit to the no amount of nomads you no, can no, have? No, sure. you can work your way through every single one of them. But how but many are there out there? Page, AIM regulation says, look, uh, enough is enough. And uh, if you're thinking of acting for this company, you should think again. Yeah, um, I don't know how many nomads there are sort of below the SP Angel in the pecking order, as it were. But um, um, Beaumont Cornish would be below SP Angel. So uh, in terms of... Seven. 
reputation and uh, integrity or complete lack of it. Uh, no one else, in terms of complete lack of integrity, I'd say it's only Beaumont Cornish. So there's um, one to go. But, 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 but I kind of think even Beaumont Cornish, the, surely the regulatory spotlight is so firmly on Ricketts that if another one goes in quick succession after the de- departure of Canaccord, uh, that might be enough that AIM regulations say no, enough is enough. Yeah, but I think that from what I've heard, and I'm, I don't wish to um, be rude about them because I don't know a great deal about them, but from what I've heard, SP Angel are not too exacting in their, in the, in some of their previous clients. So statements paid by MySquare, even after it was proven to be a fraud by myself. Yeah. Yes. So if you're going to be the nomad to MySquare, I would have thought that having Versarion as a client is like having, uh, uh, you know, a blue chip not come knocking on your door. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, Vasarian, uh, whilst I accuse it of committing serial securities fraud, it's not a fraud in the way that MySquare was. I didn't know. I don't think it's a fraud at all. I think it's just a non-business. I but mean, it's not over-promoted. It's the, the, fraud, the, fraud, the fraud, Lucian, surely, is in, in, in making statements that are false uh, ahead of either management dumping stock or the company raising fresh equity. That, to well, me, there, is committing securities fraud. Yeah, I mean, there are obviously degrees of fraud, but, um, you know, you could argue that Versarion have done a few... Just like there are degrees of murder. Some murders yeah, are absolutely. better than other murders. Well, if that's absolutely true, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, of course it's true. You know, a crime really? of passion murder is uh, is a lot, you know... Less, less sort of morally serious, say, than a you know sort of premeditated sort of terrorist murder. I mean, everything has degrees, and so does fraud. And um, I don't think, although Versailles have done a few sort of slightly questionable, made a few questionable statements. You no, know, they're, they're not sort of, they're not like NMC outright cooking the books, faking profits, faking cash balances. You know, that's proper. I will, I, I, will, I, will, I will give Vasarian that. It has never tried to fake profit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, it's fraud is, you know, pe- people just sort of bandy around the word fraud as if it's, you know, anyone committing fraud is in the same sort of moral boat. But, you know, every, every company, you know, from British Aerospace down, you know, bribe a few people, do a few, do a few slightly fraudulent things. But you know, when you're a total out and out fraud, like NMC today being a good example, um, that's a different matter from sort of saying, you know, we're the only verified graphene producer in the world, when in fact they're not. You know, that's just a sort of misstatement, um, or you know, dumping your stock around the time you're doing a deal. You could argue, is that securities fraud or is that just sort of lucky timing? You know. But at least they're not sort of cooking the books because they don't really have any books to cook. That's true. That is true. Right. So uh, is Vasarian your biggest sort of uh, short hope for the UK market as you prepare to travel overseas? No. Well, because it's already fallen a hell of a lot. I mean, you know, it's, you know. So is IQE. uh, Yes. Yes. But in terms of sort of value, IQE is, you know, still... I don't know, Versarion, I think, as I say, I mean, I don't, I don't know when it'll happen and I'm not particularly bothered because I can't borrow any stock in it. I've got a very short, small, short position. Um, I mean, put it this way, would I rather Versarion or IQE go to zero? I'd much rather IQE go to zero. Um, not that I think they will, you know, or I don't think they'll sort of crater to that level anytime soon, but I think um, 
I think I IQE, that, presumably, if IQE has the profits warning we expect it to have, and it dropped. has to do a fundraising on the back of it, yeah, uh, so then it, the shares could easily halve. Yes, yes, and that's what I'd be looking for. I'd say sort of 20p, and that's still at 20p, they'd be capitalised at what, a couple of hundred million or something. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, given the placing, that would be even more. Um, they've got to have a placing. They've got to have right. a placing. It's a question of when. And they, in my opinion, they've got to have a profit warning. It's a question of when. You know, they can both, they, and, and they've got the convenient uh, coronavirus excuse. excuse. So, you know, I, if I were them, I'd do it sooner rather than later. Okay. All right. Well, and, uh, maybe your next career is in uh, PR for grossly overvalued stocks on the ABC. <laughs> you know? uh, have a good trip, and we'll speak yeah. when you get back. Okay. Thanks, Tom. was on cracking form. Uh, I can't remember when he gets back from uh, Cambodia and Thailand, which is where he's visiting. I think it's sometime in April. Uh, I do hope he locks himself in a room uh, for at least three weeks after he gets back uh, and doesn't come out of self-isolation. I certainly won't be rushing to go and shake his hand until well into May or June. Uh, in June, of course, Lucien and I are doing a little walk together. That is the Rogue Bloggers for Woodlark's Walk. We've done it now two years. This is our third year. We'll be joined by uh, a cast of other characters. Uh, and last year, we raised £55,000. The Woodlark's charity provides uh, a quite unique uh, service, uh, uh, holidays for severely handicapped uh, uh, children, young adults and adults, uh, and a break for their carers. Uh, it's an amazing place, absolutely amazing, run by wonderful people. And uh, last year, it managed to get by on just 115,000 quid. This isn't one of the charities, those charities where the CEO earns uh, a, a, a telephone number salary. Uh, there is no CEO. Uh, this is run on a shoestring and it is very much reliant on our walk. Uh, we hope we can raise another 50,000 quid this year. Uh, I will uh, ask, uh, uh, keep asking people for donations all the way up to June 13th when Lucy and myself, Brokerman, Dan, uh, uh, Andrew Bell and others walk the 34 miles from Winchester to Woodlarks. Uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast uh, and you're too mean to subscribe to Share Profits, uh, please, uh, why not make a small donation? I'll put the link uh, 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 in the text. Uh, 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 the Rogue Bloggers for Woodlarks 2020. Uh, please do make a small donation. Um, uh, if you really enjoyed this po podcast and you can't wait seven weeks for the next one, uh, well, why not subscribe to Share Profits? It only costs five ninety nine a month, and you get seven podcasts a week from me, Bearcasts, uh, plus... Uh, uh, round about uh, 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 63 other or 61 other articles a week uh, uh, breaking stories hard analysis uh, always controversial forcing statements from companies 
I bet you will be a few more over the next couple of days. We've got a few things up our sleeves uh, and it costs just $5.99 a month. So I hope you sign up to Share Profits. If you're too mean to do that, and you're too mean to give money to Woodlarks, then the next time I'll be speaking to you will be with the next edition of Share Profits Radio uh, uh, at some stage next week. I'll speak to you in seven days. I hope you're not a cheapskate. You'll be signing up to Share Profits and I'll speak to you tomorrow. Uh, Goodbye from me, and uh, thank you very much for listening.